Consider a woman named Deanna Jalen Wild, a woman who, like many, found herself at a crossroads in life. Deanna was a Kentucky native, living a life that was as simple and as complicated as any other. She lived among the bluegrass and rolling hills, navigating the ups and downs that life threw her way. Deanna was married, but like many stories, things didn't go as planned. Her marriage started to unravel, leading to a separation from her husband. A chapter of her life had ended, leaving behind a void filled with uncertainty and loneliness. It was in this vulnerable state that she came across BJ and Virginia McGinnis. BJ and Virginia were a couple who seemed to offer Dina a new lease on life. They were her companions, her confidants, her friends. Together they spent time, shared stories, and formed a bond that seemed to offer Dina a refuge from her loneliness. These were people she could trust, people who could help her navigate this new chapter of her life. But friendships can be a double-edged sword. They can offer solace, but they can also lead you down a path you never intended to tread. This was the case for Deanna. BJ and Virginia didn't just offer her friendship, they also introduced her to a new world, one that was as fascinating as it was intimidating. One day, Dina, BJ, and Virginia decided to embark on a trip together. They chose to visit Seal Beach in Big Sur, California. This was a place known for its rugged beauty, a place where the ocean met the cliffs in a breathtaking display of nature's grandeur. It was a place that promised tranquility, a place that was supposed to offer Dina a break from her tumultuous life. And so, Dina, BJ, and Virginia set out on a trip to Seal Beach in Big Sur, California. Little did they know, it would be Dina's final journey. April 2, 1987, a day that started like any other, but ended in tragedy. On this day, Dina Jalen Hubbard Wild, a woman from Kentucky, found herself on Seal Beach in Big Sur, California. She was in the company of BJ and Virginia McGinnis, a couple she had befriended after parting ways with her husband. As the day drew to a close, the trio decided to head back to their car. It was during this mundane walk that Deanna's life took a tragic turn. The couple claimed that Dina, in a fateful misstep, fell off the cliff. The serene beach day had suddenly transformed into a nightmarish scene of despair. In the aftermath of the fall, Dina's life was abruptly extinguished. The cause of death was determined to be a basal skull fracture, a severe injury often associated with high-impact incidents. It seemed plausible, given the purported circumstances of her demise. A tragic accident, it seemed, had claimed the life of Dina Wilde. But as the story spread, something didn't quite add up. Was it really an accident? Or was there something more sinister at work? The couple's account of the tragic event seemed straightforward. However, the details of their story were about to be scrutinized. The simple narrative of a tragic accident was about to become far more complex. Medical examiners, detectives, and curious minds alike began to dissect the events of that day. The story of Deanna's fall from the cliff was about to be challenged. The truth, it seemed, was not as clear-cut as it first appeared. But as the investigation unfolded, the details of Deanna's death began to raise more questions than answers. As we delve deeper into this case, we'll unravel the suspicious circumstances surrounding Deanna's tragic end and the shocking revelations that led to a high-stakes murder trial. Stay tuned as we uncover the truth behind this tragic tale. A life insurance policy, a drug without a prescription, and injuries that suggested a struggle. The puzzle pieces started to assemble. In the wake of Dina Wilde's untimely demise, there were a number of oddities that raised more questions than answers. The first was the discovery of a life insurance policy. A substantial sum of $35,000, with Virginia's son as the beneficiary, had been taken out on Dina just one day before her death. 
This was a red flag that triggered some serious questions. What were the odds? Why would someone take out a life insurance policy on a friend just a day before they met a tragic end? The second piece of the puzzle was a drug. Found in Deanna's blood, this particular substance was not something she had a prescription for. Who had given it to her? And why? Was it possible that this drug had something to do with her fall off the cliff? The presence of this foreign substance in her system hinted at a possible manipulation or coercion. The final piece of the puzzle was the injuries. The autopsy photos revealed something chilling. Dina had injuries on her hands and broken fingernails. These were not consistent with a simple fall but suggested a struggle, a fight for life. Could it be that Diana didn't fall but was, in fact, pushed off the cliff? These three elements, the insurance policy, the mysterious drug, and the injuries that pointed to foul play, were the turning points in the investigation. Each one on its own could be dismissed as a coincidence, but together, they painted a picture that was hard to ignore. The deeper the investigation went, the clearer the picture became. Something sinister was at play. BJ and Virginia McGinnis, once close friends, now prime suspects. The turn of events was swift and severe as the investigation into Dina's death deepened. The couple that Dina had trusted, befriended, and traveled with soon found themselves in handcuffs, their freedom snatched away as abruptly as Dina's life had been. The evidence stacked against them was damning. The most incriminating piece? A life insurance policy taken out on Dina, a mere day before her demise. But the plot thickened when it was discovered that Virginia had forged a witness signature on the policy. The beneficiary of this ill-gotten policy was none other than Virginia's own son. This revelation sent shockwaves through the case, painting a grim picture of premeditated murder for financial gain. But that wasn't all. Deanna's autopsy results raised more red flags. Traces of a drug that Deanna had no prescription for were found in her system. Could it have been used to incapacitate her? To make her fall from that cliff seem like an accident? The drug, coupled with the suspicious life insurance policy, pointed to a sinister plot that BJ and Virginia had concocted. Furthermore, Dina's autopsy photos showed injuries on her hands and broken fingernails, suggesting a struggle before her death. It became clear that her fall from the cliff was no accident. It was a carefully executed plan, a cold-blooded murder designed to look like a tragic mishap. As the walls closed in on BJ and Virginia, the truth was undeniable. Their close friendship with Deanna had been a charade, a dangerous game that ended in a loss of life. Their arrest marked a turning point in the case, a moment of justice for Deanna, but the journey was far from over. In the end, what seemed like a tragic accident was, in fact, a premeditated murder. The arrests of BJ and Virginia McGinnis brought to light a chilling reality, that beneath the facade of friendship and camaraderie lay a deadly plot of treachery and deceit. A courtroom, a jury, and a verdict that would bring justice to Dina. In the solemn atmosphere of the court, the prosecution presented their evidence. A suspicious life insurance policy, an unexpected drug in Dina's bloodstream, and injuries that suggested a struggle. The defense, on the other hand, maintained the story of a tragic accident. But the scales of justice were tipped heavily by the weight of the evidence against BJ and Virginia McGinnis. The jury, after hours of deliberation, returned with a verdict. BJ McGinnis, the man who was supposed to be Dina's friend, was found guilty. But before he could face the full force of the law, BJ met his end in prison. His cause of death remains undisclosed, adding another layer of mystery to an already complex story. Then came Virginia's turn. A woman who had taken Dina under her wing, only to betray her in the most heinous way. The jury found Virginia McGinnis guilty of first-degree murder. The court sentenced her to life in prison, 
ensuring that she would pay for her crime. The gavel fell, signifying the end of the trial. The courtroom, once filled with tension, breathed a collective sigh of relief. Dina's family and friends, while still mourning their loss, found some measure of peace. Justice had been served. But as the courtroom emptied and the echoes of the verdict faded, a question hung in the air, heavy and unanswered. Why? Why would anyone go to such lengths for a life insurance policy? Why would someone betray a friend, commit murder and risk everything for $35,000? Justice was served, but the question remained, why? Why would anyone go to such lengths for a life insurance policy? Money, power, greed, motives as old as time itself. And in the case of Dina J. Lynn Hubbard Wilde, these motives were twisted into a horrifying plot that ended in murder. The question we are left grappling with is why? Why would someone choose to kill for a life insurance policy instead of working towards gaining wealth for themselves? Life insurance policies are typically thought of as a safety net, a financial cushion for loved ones in the event of a sudden unexpected death. They're not typically seen as a motive for murder, but in this case, and in many others like it, that's exactly what they became. A $35,000 life insurance policy was taken out on Dina the day before her death, with the son of one of the accused listed as the beneficiary. A chilling fact indeed. The lure of easy money can be a powerful thing. It can lead people down a dark path, a path where morals are cast aside and the value of human life is diminished. It's a path that, once embarked upon, is nearly impossible to turn back from. This is not an excuse for such heinous actions, far from it. Rather, it's an attempt to understand the mindset that leads to such terrible decisions. In the end, we are left with more questions than answers. What drove Virginia and BJ to plan and execute such a horrific act? Was it desperation? Was it pure greed? Or was it something else entirely? These are questions we may never have concrete answers to, but they serve as a stark reminder of the lengths some people will go to for money. So we must ask ourselves, why do people choose to kill for a life insurance policy instead of working towards gaining wealth for themselves? What drives them to this horrific act of greed? In the end, only they know the true answer. Dina Jalyn Wilde died on April 2, 1987, after falling off a cliff at Seal Beach in Big Sur, California. Her death was initially thought to be an accident, but her family had many questions and hired a civil attorney named Steve Kenny. Kenny was alarmed by photos taken by Dina's friends BJ and Virginia McGinnis who claimed to have been with her at the time of her fall. One photo showed Deanna looking disoriented, and the other showed the McGinnises taking photos of the scenery after Dina's fall. The police discovered that the McGinnis had taken out a life insurance policy on Dina the day before she died, and that Virginia had taken out similar policies on people close to her in the past. The autopsy photos showed that Deanna had wounds on the backs of her hands, indicating that she may have been hit with an object or stomped on to make her fall. Virginia was eventually convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Wendy Anna Wilde's mom gets a call saying that her daughter had fallen while rock climbing and didn't survive. She was absolutely heartbroken. When she tried to file a claim to receive the small but helpful life insurance policy she had taken out on her daughter, she kept running into issues. What Mrs. Wilde thought would be a minor headache of some phone calls to make ended up taking her down a wild and harrowing chase to prove that her daughter's fall was no accident at all. One bright, windy day in April of 1987, three tourists were walking along the beautiful cliffs of Seal Beach in Big Sur, California. The group, who were all visiting from San Diego, 
consisted of the couple Billy Joe and Virginia McGinnis and their friend and housemate Deanna Wild. They'd stopped to have lunch at a nice spot, then decided to do some sightseeing at the cliffs, take some pictures, and head home for the day. Sometime that afternoon, a cashier at a nearby store is startled when Billy Joe, sometimes called BJ, and Virginia burst into the shop, screaming that their friend had fallen over the cliff's edge. Yikes. Rescue workers were immediately dispatched and found Deanna's body at the bottom of the cliffs. But after plunging near 500 feet to the ground, Deanna hadn't survived the fall. Suspicious? Not exactly. This unfortunately wasn't an uncommon occurrence that happened on the cliffs. Emergency dispatchers apparently receive a few of these types of calls a year, especially once the summer months hit and the weather warms up. Tourists who aren't familiar with the strong gusts of wind and loose gravel would sometimes try to get that perfect shot of that sparkling water and would lean a little too far and lose their footing. So think twice next time before you do it for the gram. When the investigators asked the couple what happened, the couple said they were walking along the side of the cliffs with Deanna after they decided to return to the car. Billy, Joe, and Virginia had turned around and said Deanna wanted to look out at the view one last time, then would join them. In a matter of seconds, the couple turned around and Deanna was gone. They rushed to the cliff's edge, only to see the 500-foot drop so they ran for help. One of the worst parts about the case was that investigators found out that Deanna had an intense fear of heights and that it was one of her biggest phobias. So it really was a tragic way for her to lose her life. If Deanna was so afraid of heights, then why would she get so close to the edge in the first place? Well, Virginia and BJ were devastated. They told authorities that Deanna was in the process of divorcing her husband, so she was staying and traveling with BJ in Virginia while attempting to get back on her feet. They also told the authorities they had taken her in because she had an intellectual disability, which made her vulnerable and bad at making decisions. Deanna had also been wearing shoes that were high-heeled, which they guessed is what made her lose her footing. To back this up, the couple developed the photos they took with Deanna just minutes before she went over the cliff, and the police see in the photos that Deanna was teetering on some pretty high heels. An autopsy of Deanna's body was performed, and the examiner deemed that Deanna succumbed to a fracture on the back of her skull, which was consistent with someone who had taken a 500-foot fatal fall and landed on the rocky cliffs below. When Deanna's mom told her friend at church weeks later that she was having trouble collecting Deanna's burial insurance, her friend Steve, a successful corporate lawyer, agreed to help her out. Deanna's mom, Bobby, also confided to Steve that she was having trouble accepting that her daughter's fall was an accident and that her gut kept telling her that something felt wrong. And oh, Bobby, how right your instincts are. Deanna officially hired Steve as her private investigator. And one of the first things that Steve notices is that no photographs had been taken of the crime scene. He was also extremely disappointed in the autopsy work of the coroner, who only did a routine autopsy as opposed to a more thorough investigation. This made it impossible to prove to the insurance companies or courts what the exact COD was. But when Steve scoured over the photographs of Deanna and the McGinnises that day, 
the photos told an entirely different story from what the couple said went down. In the photos taken at the beginning of the day, Deanna is seen posing and smiling in front of the cliffs. But in the photographs taken a few hours later, Deanna's appearance has drastically changed. She appears exhausted, sleepy, and is leaning against BJ in a lot of the photos, almost like slumped onto him. Her eyes are half open, and she's no longer smiling, but staring blankly into the lens of the camera. One photo in the series after the sleepy ones showed BJ and Deanna with their backs to the camera staring over the edge of the cliff, and he's looking over his shoulder to the right towards the main road. You know, like a frickin' Scooby-Doo villain? Immediately, Steve was suspicious of the photos, and he believed BJ was looking behind him to check if the coast was clear and that no cars were passing by. Steve was certain that he was looking at the last known moments of Deanna alive, along with the person who pushed her. He just had to prove it. The last four pictures after the Is the Coast Clear photo made Steve even more sus. The photos have no one in them and are taken from a few angles over the cliff. The first photo is looking down the cliff, showing the area where Deanna fell. The next two photos are a panoramic view of the cliffs, and the final photo is a shot of the road directly behind them. Well, 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 what do we have here? Steve believed that this was Virginia surveilling the scene through the viewfinder in the camera to make sure no one had seen what they did. I guess, thank goodness that Virginia's pea brain wasn't advanced enough for her to throw away these photos, because instead, she stupidly gave them to the police. This accidental fall was beginning to seem not so accidental. And thanks to Steve, the authorities began investigating to try to figure out if there was any motive for BJ to push Deanna off the cliff. And what do you know? As if Billy and Virginia wanted to solve the case for them, the detectives discovered they had taken out a $35,000 life insurance policy on Deanna only one day before her fall. So the detectives went to the insurance agent that the couple went to and spoke with the man who told them that Virginia asked him a question on the way out the door that stuck out to him. She asked if the life insurance policy was still applicable if the fatality was an accident. And the agent was like, yes. One day after Deanna's fall and two days after setting up the life insurance policy, Virginia filed to collect the insurance and showed back up to the agent who was like, no freaking way. The name listed as the beneficiary on the policy was their son, James Coates, who was currently serving time in prison. He had been listed as Deanna's fiancé, even though he and Deanna were currently married to other people. The insurance agent didn't want to suspect the worst, and said it has happened before where people have the unfortunate luck of taking out a life insurance policy only for the person to pass the next day. To quote Steve on what he thought of this coincidence, it's not proof, but it sure stinks. Now the authorities had reason to believe they were no longer looking at an accident, but a well-executed scheme. They just had to prove it. But how do you prove this theory with not a whole lot of evidence? Deanna's autopsy is regularly commented on by investigators as barely meeting the standards and bashed by Steve as shoddy work due to the fact that the person performing the autopsy was not a forensic pathologist, meaning they were looking for signs of foul play. 
but the examiner did something during that autopsy that is virtually unheard of as far as autopsies go back in those days that would end up sealing the fate in Deanna's case. He took a vial of Deanna's vital fluid. Oh, snap. For reasons unclear, the examiner kept the vial, and there it sat in refrigerated storage for two years until it would be taken out for re-examination. The sample was sent to be tested for traces of any substances in Deanna's system that would have made her appear the way she did in those photographs. When the sample comes back from the lab, they find traces of a medication commonly used to treat depression called Elevil. For someone who had never taken an antidepressant in their life, a medication like Elevil would have made Deanna quite drowsy, according to forensic pathologists. So they now had reason to suspect that Deanna was slipped a pill unknowingly. And did Deanna know anyone who took Elevil for their depression? Of course she did. Her faux father-in-law, BJ. The investigators speculated that BJ must have slipped Deanna his Elevil at some point during the lunch they'd eaten at the diner two hours before. The waitress at the diner said Deanna ordered a soft drink, and that's what detectives believe BJ used to dissolve the pill in. But they had no way of proving this, so they turned it in another direction for proof. The photos of Deanna's autopsy. A forensic pathologist examined the photos and noticed two jarring details which had barely been mentioned in the original autopsy report. The first was the fact that Deanna had wounds on the back of her hands, but not on her palms, and her fingernails were all broken. The broken fingernails indicated that Deanna hadn't just fallen, but she'd fallen and managed to hang on by her fingertips before she actually went down. But what didn't make sense about this was that she didn't have any scrapes on her palms, only deep wounds and bruises on the back of her hands. She couldn't prove it, but the pathologist had a theory. She believed that Deanna was originally pushed, but she'd managed to hang on and catch herself on the edge, which explains the damage to her nails and fingertips. She then assumed that BJ either stomped on her hands or used a sharp object to strike the back of her hands until she was forced to let go. And as awful as that discovery was, they now had proof that Deanna had been attacked, as opposed to the theory that she accidentally fell. But charging the couple in a crime this extreme was going to be a huge accusation that they needed to be ready to prove with absolute certainty. The detectives decided to look into Virginia first and ran a background check, and they found some very interesting skeletons in Virginia's closet. First, they saw that Virginia collected on a life insurance policy in 1972 when her three-year-old daughter suffocated in a horrendous accident. Hold up. Her own daughter? Then, in 1974, Virginia's former husband, Sylvester, passed under mysterious circumstances. And once again, Ginny collected her pretty penny. In 1986, Virginia's next victim was her own freaking mother who suffered a heart attack under mysterious circumstances and she collected insurance money yet again. Oh yeah, and did we mention that every house she lived in burned to the ground? Yep, she of course collected insurance on all those fires as well. The best part about our resident evil genius? Every one of her life insurance policies was made for the exact same amount. $35,000. Because the amount of the settlement was so low, 
No insurance companies would think to question it, which is how she was able to slither away with policy after policy every time. This particular insurance policy was especially damaging because the entire thing was forged. She faked the witness signature of her neighbor and even spelled the lady's name wrong. They forced Virginia to submit a handwriting sample and proved that she had forged the document. Two years after Deanna's fatal fall, Billy Joe and Virginia McGinnis were arrested and charged with taking the life of Deanna for their own financial gain. BJ never made it to trial and passed away while sitting in jail. When Virginia finally took the stand, she tried to claim all of a sudden that she was no longer there at the scene of the crime and said she wasn't in any of the pictures, only BJ. But prosecutors pointed out that the shadow of the photographer was clearly visible and they knew the position of the sun in the sky thanks to the time of the 911 call. And because they were the real geniuses here, they used the mother-effing Pythagorean theorem to prove the height of the shadow was the exact height of Virginia McGinnis, five foot six. So math teachers, uh, feel free to use this story when your students try to argue with you that they'll never use the Pythagorean theorem in real life. The prosecution argued that Virginia saw the vulnerable Deanna in the middle of a divorce and jumped at her chance. She was a skilled con artist and knew an easy target when she saw one. Poor Deanna didn't stand a chance against this black widow. After four days of deliberating, the jury ruled that Virginia was guilty in the first degree, so she was sentenced to life in prison. In 2011, Virginia McGinnis passed away at the ripe old age of 74 and has still never officially been brought to justice for her suspected three other victims. And that is the story of how broken fingernails, some sketchy photos, the Pythagorean theorem, and a lawyer who wouldn't give up solved the case of Deanna Wilde and put a black widow behind bars. And it looks like our stuffed mushrooms are just about done. You know whose mushrooms I'd like to stuff? Oh, sorry. I guess we're out of time. Bye! If there's one thing that mystery novels and true crime TV shows have taught us, it's that when it comes to crime, anything is possible. Now, you might even say that there are three possibilities whenever something strange happens. Accident, suicide, or murder. So, when Deanna Wilde fell to her death from a 400-foot cliff overlooking Sealed Beach in California, which one was it? You won't believe the answer. I'm Chris. Thanks for watching True Crime Recaps. On April 2nd, 1987, Deanna Wilde took a day trip to Big Sur with her housemates, Virginia and Billy Joe McGinnis. At first glance, you might think they were a family. Deanna was 20, and Virginia and BJ were in their early 50s. And they kind of were a family, in the way that some people just sort of click right away. That's how it was between Virginia and Deanna. They'd met through Virginia's son, and the two women became fast friends, which was great for Deanna since she didn't know too many people. 
She'd moved to California from Kentucky two years earlier with her ex-husband, but he was in the Navy, and the strain of his constant absences proved to be too much for their marriage, and they split up. But like a gift from the heavens, in December 1986, the McGinnises offered her a room in their house and took her under their wing. The arrangement was supposed to be temporary, just until she could save up some money for a place of her own. But three months later, they were still a happy makeshift family. Or so it seemed. On that gorgeous April afternoon, they had an idea. Why not take a day trip to Big Sur? It was only a two-hour drive from their home in Chula Vista, and Deanna had never seen it up there. The views of the ocean are spectacular, although in her blue heels, she wasn't really dressed for hiking. But she didn't let that stop her from enjoying herself. She posed for pictures, smiling and laughing with the backdrop of the Pacific Ocean behind her. She even went right up to the edge of the cliff overlooking Seal Beach. She loved watching the waves crash into the jagged rocks below. She seemed to enjoy the peaceful spot so much, her friends gave her some time alone and turned away to head back to the car. When they looked back, she was gone. Panicked, they rushed to the overlook, but all that was left of her was one of her blue heels. Did she stumble and fall? In a time before mobile phones, they couldn't just call for help on the spot. It took a few minutes for them to run to a nearby business to sound the alarm. When Virginia and her husband were questioned, their answers sounded plausible. They didn't see or hear a thing, not even a scream. She was there one minute, gone the next. But she was wearing heels, and she could have easily fallen, and she wasn't the first person to fall from that spot either. Deanna's autopsy raised no red flags. She had a fractured skull, bruises on the back of her hands, and broken fingers. The police officially chalked her death up to a tragic accident. Back in Kentucky, her mother, Bobby, was going about the sad business of grieving and arranging her daughter's funeral. In the four months Deanna had been living with the McGinnises, the two of them hadn't talked much. Virginia always seemed to be there, telling her Deanna was busy and didn't have time to come to the phone for a chat. She got a strange vibe from the woman. Through her job, Bobby had a small insurance policy for her daughter, only about $2,500, just enough to help cover the costs to bury her. But when she filed a claim for it, she was told they had to investigate first. She thought that was strange, so she reached out to Steve Keeney, an attorney she knew, to ask his advice. And he knew the family from church, and he was curious about what was going on, so he started poking around to see what he could find out about this couple Deanna had been living with. You know the saying, when there's smoke, there's fire? Well, when it came to Virginia, there were a lot of fires. Just about every house she lived in had burned down. Was she the unluckiest woman on earth? But each and every time there was a fire, she collected the insurance money. You might even say she turned it into a job. Virginia had a long history with fire. As a kid growing up in upstate New York, she'd been punished countless times for setting fires. Then, in 1953, her family's barn burned down. Everyone suspected Virginia, even though she was only 16. The next year, when she was 17, she got married and had two kids. In 1958, their house went up in flames. Everyone suspected Virginia. In 1961, when she was 24, yet another house she was living in burned down. 
When she and her husband separated, she moved back in with her parents, but not long after that, that home was nothing but smoldering ashes. I ask you again, is this the unluckiest woman in the world? The people around her also seemed to fall victim to tragic accidents. In 1972, her three-year-old daughter was found hanging in the family's barn. Allegedly, she was trying to ride one of the ponies and accidentally got tangled up in the equipment and died. Talk about an odd scenario. Something about it didn't seem right to the investigators, but they couldn't prove anything, and sure enough, Virginia happened to have an insurance policy on her daughter, which she quickly laid claim to. Two years later, her second husband, Sylvester Reardon, died, and he was diagnosed with cancer and being treated in the hospital before she allegedly got him discharged by claiming to be his nurse. Not long after he got home, he died. His insurance policy helped cushion the pain of her loss and the cost of moving to California. But her bad luck followed her. She moved in with her mother, and the house they lived in burned down twice. The first time, the insurance company told them to rebuild, but the second time, they paid the claim. In the summer of 1986, her mother died of a heart attack. Virginia collected the payout, and life went on. Until April 1987, when Deanna Wilde died. And would you be surprised to learn she had a life insurance policy for her, too? On April 1st, Virginia and Deanna went to an insurance agency. Together, they took out a $35,000 policy. The only beneficiaries were Virginia, her husband BJ, and her son, the man who introduced them to Deanna in the first place. The next day, she plummeted to her death. That's what you call motive. When they reopened her case, they found out the coroner had saved a sample of her blood, and when they tested it, it came back positive for an antidepressant called Elevil. Now, take too much of it, and you get very, very sleepy. Not that Deanna would have known that, because she didn't have a prescription for it. But guess who did? B.J. McGinnis. In 1989, two years later, both he and his wife were charged with murder. When investigators checked out the pictures the three of them took on the overlook that day, they noticed something strange. Deanna starts out smiling in the photos, but the last picture of her shows her leaning heavily against BJ, and she looks sort of out of it. Detectives say minutes after Virginia snapped that photo, the two of them pushed the girl off the cliff. But here's an even more horrifying theory. She tried to save herself. Judging by the bruises on the back of her hands, they think she grabbed at the rocks to stop her fall, and someone stomped on her hands and fingers until she let go. And the jury agreed. In 1992, Virginia was found guilty of murder and insurance fraud and sentenced to life without parole. There wasn't enough evidence to try her for the deaths of her daughter, mother, and second husband. In 2011, she died in prison. If you're wondering what happened to her third husband, BJ, he also died in prison, but before his trial started. As for their son, he was never charged. He was in prison for a parole violation when Deanna died, and he claimed he never knew a thing about the insurance policy. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today, but don't go anywhere. More recaps are coming up right now. And if you like getting all the crime in half the time, please go ahead and tap that subscribe button and the bell so you never miss a story. We're here every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
Until next time, take care.